Today on Stick to Football, we are going to look at some coaching hot seats in the NFL. College football, we've already seen basically Black Monday with a lot of coaches on the move. And then because it is Monday, Cyber Monday even, we're going to give you a round one mock draft with all the changes we've seen with the draft order being shaken up and then get into your draft on draft questions. But Connor, we got to remind everybody this Saturday, we will be in Atlanta, Georgia at the SEC Championship game with Johnsonville right outside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Johnsonville's huge tailgate. We will be there basically taking over the damn thing with Sean Alexander as our guest. Yeah, it's going to be awesome, man. We're excited to get down to Atlanta, go to the SEC Championship. Obviously, there's going to be some good football played there as well. But before we get into all that, we'll be right outside Mercedes-Benz. So if you're around, come by, say hi. We're going to be doing a show with our guest, Sean Alexander. Uh, He might be a little upset. No Alabama, shockingly, (laughs) this year. But it's going to be a really good time. And before we get into our full first-round mock draft today, because it is mock draft, Draft Monday and your draft on draft questions. Matt, we got to talk about NFL coaches on the hot seat. And even before that, uh, the hot seats that turn into ash in college football this past weekend. Yeah, it was like one after another. It was and ridiculous. some of it was. Some of it was expected. Charlie Strong fired at South Florida. Barry Odom fired at Mizzou. Matt Luke, maybe the biggest surprise, fired at Ole Miss. Steve Adazio gone at Boston College. And on top of this, You have Arkansas, which was already open. You have Florida State, which is already open. So a lot of jobs used to be blue blood programs, and they're going to look for guys who can get them back on top. And then in the middle of the country, you have a lot of openings. Mizzou, Arkansas, Ole Miss. And those teams are really going to be vying for the same couple of candidates. I think everyone looks at Memphis and what Mike Norvell has done there as a really, really good head coach, a very good candidate. If he doesn't go to Florida State, I think there's a good chance that he will get one of those jobs. And then Napier at at Louisiana is another one. The Raging Cajuns have been so good this year that it almost feels like Napier is the guy right behind Norvell, where whichever job Norvell takes, Napier might take the other. So Missouri, Arkansas, it's going to be fun. And my hope is that guys like Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach get in here and turn this thing upside down. Yeah, me too. It's kind of interesting where, you know, what's next for Mike Leach? He almost feels like one of those guys where – you know, everything's really fun and great for a couple of years, and then it might be time to move on to something else. You always say it, Matt, is the message getting stale? And I'm not saying Washington State, by any stretch of the means, is in a terrible state right now. It's just a matter of, right. is this one of these one of these jobs a good one for Leach to move to? I like that you bring up Lane Kiffin, because with Lane, you know, he always sits there and says how much he loves the program he's building right now, but you have to think in the back of his head, Lane wants to get you know, maybe back into the SEC at some point. And even if that's not the case, just onto a bigger job, but it has to be the right job. And I do think the surprising one is Charlie Strong here a little bit. I know USF has been really bad against teams with winning records, uh, but it's still a little surprising because you have to wonder what's the next move for USF. I don't think Charlie did a terrible job there. It just seems like, like many college programs, no matter how big or small you are, they have very high standards. Yeah, I think it's been interesting, you know, obviously as a Texas fan to watch Charlie from where he was at Louisville, where, I mean, he he was like a sure thing to get a huge national job. He goes to Texas and, you know, immediately tries to turn the program over, getting rid of some of the entitlement that was there with Mac Brown. And it just feels like Charlie was kind of set up to fail there. And so it's like, okay, well, he'll go back to his roots. He'll go back to South Florida where he can recruit, where he can develop. And it just, it never worked out. So I think it's, that one is a really big surprise to me because I really thought, okay, Texas is just too big for Charlie, but he'll he'll bounce back. Like he'll land on his feet at a good spot. 
like USF, and then he'll get back to a Power 5 school. So that one is, I think, one of the biggest surprises to me. And, of course, like you said, Connor, USC and FSU are going to dominate the conversation here. I think a lot of it's going to be, will Urban Meyer leave TV, where he has been exceptional this year? Will he leave for one of these head coaching jobs? And and we have to, again, talk about what is the trickle-down effect of Alabama not making the playoffs, because those assistants at Alabama, whether it's Steve Sarkeesian or someone else, normally... Those dudes are going to be tied up now for an, another five weeks, basically, because Alabama's out of the playoff and they're going to be preparing for a bowl game that I don't even know how many of their players are going to play in. I, I think some of those Alabama assistants are going to be a little more poachable this year. And, and Nick Saban has always had to deal with this every year. Alabama loses top assistants, but it feels like this year they might lose more than normally because of, of the way that this system is set up. Well, let's move to the NFL side of things because this is also interesting. And I sketched it out this morning. I believe that seven to eight NFL head coaches could be on the firing block That's a lot. this offseason. It is a lot. So think about this. Washington's already open, right? Cincinnati, they beat your Jets on Sunday. And I don't know how. Andy Dalton comes back off the bench, which makes you wonder why the fuck he was there in the first place. It really place. does. <laughs> Right, <laughs> they beat they beat the Jets to get a win. That basically uh, maybe they they are now the the race for that first pick between them and the New York Giants is a little tighter. But so the Bengals maybe they keep Zach Taylor, but the Giants Pat Shermer feels like that dude's gone. Washington's already open. Atlanta feels like Dan Quinn's gone. Detroit the Lions are three eight and one this year. I don't know that we're talking enough My about God. that because they are just so bad. Somebody please God free Matt Stafford. Matt Patricia could be fired. Doug Marone could be fired in Jacksonville, where it's obvious that Nick Foles is not the long-term answer that they expected he would be. Adam Gase should be fired just for losing yesterday to the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, and then they're just 14 uh, right now overall. Carolina, Carolina's five and seven. They could salvage this season, but it doesn't look like they're going to. And I think Ron Rivera, you said it earlier, one of my catchphrases. The dude's message might be getting stale. Ron Rivera could be fired. It seems like Jason Garrett is done in Dallas, which is crazy because you know they. Right now, someone has to win the NFC East, and it looks like it will be them. So it, it is fascinating right now, but there's going to be seven or eight jobs that are just the ones that we expect, and there's always a surprise or two. So it, there's going to be a lot of turnover, but I know you wanted to go off a little bit about the sad state of coaching in New York right now. Oh, the, I could start with that. I mean, first and foremost, with Pat Shermer, if the Giants don't fire him, you could sit there and say this is a rebuilding Giants team, and a lot of that, for the reason the rebuild is taking so long, is a lot of misses by Dave Gettleman. But even when Daniel Jones has a good drive, and you see guys like Darius Slayton contribute, the defense can't stop anyone. But the decision-making from the head coach is horrendous, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And this is a franchise that you could go out and probably get a guy like Matt Rule, and that should excite you. And you should not go out and get a guy like Jason Garrett, which has been rumored with the Giants. When you look at the Jets, it just blows my mind how many times Adam Gase could take a step forward and then do a backflip backwards. It is, like, (laughs) unreal. And fall and break his neck. It's unreal to watch all of the good things the Jets did the last three weeks with Sam Darnold, which we talked about a lot on this show, yeah. how good he's been. They ripped it up and they threw it in the trash and said, we're going back to this Peyton Manning, Denver-style offense, this dropping back, slow-developing plays, long routes, an offensive line that can't block. Carlos Dunlap came into the game with two and a half sacks. He had three sacks yesterday. They didn't roll Darnold away from him one time. 
Not one time. They didn't help Brandon Shell with him at all. It's absolutely insane to watch this team get away from the fake screens, the rollouts, the misdirection, everything that made the offense so good the last three weeks. Adam Gay said, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to do things my way, the way I know things have worked for me in the past. And you lose to another winless team. You lost to the 0-7 Dolphins. You lose to the 0-11 Bengals. This is past the point of embarrassment. Christopher Johnson has made, and this is saying a lot because this is really hard to do. Christopher Johnson has made one of the worst decisions in the history of the New York Jets, and they can either correct it at the end of the year and let the GM fire him, which I don't care how good of friends they are. You know Joe Douglas wants to go find his guy that's competent. Or they could say, we don't want to eat the money. It's what you go back to, Matt. We always say, when you drive a car off the lot, it loses so much of its value. The Jets drove the Adam Gase car off the lot after being convinced by the scumbag salesman. And now they're so scared of losing that return on investment that they're probably going to go into next year with him or saying they are because they don't want to pay the four-year, $30 million contract for a guy that's not working for them. It's a mess. And and we could do this with a lot of these coaches on this list, but it had to start with the two disasters in New York right now. Yeah, it does. And I think for teams, like we talk about, let's look at this whole picture. If there are seven or eight open jobs, let's say, for argument's sake, the Jets are one of those teams, even though, like you said, the ownership is set. Adam Gase will be back. Um, and we'll see what happens in the next four weeks. But I feel like, and this is no no disrespect to the Jets, because I love Sam Darnold. I love Jamal Adams. Me too. That is one of the least attractive jobs because of ownership. And even with Joe Douglas, who I think will be a very good general manager, I, I think he's assembled a very good staff. As a head coach opening, that's a bad one because of ownership. And you can take that all the way back to Bill Belichick deciding not to go there. Really not just trying to pour pour salt in this wound. But this has been an issue for the Jets since Woody Johnson bought the team. Is that unstable ownership makes this a job where you have to settle for an Adam Gase. When you have an opening with a 21-year-old franchise quarterback, you have to settle for Adam Gase. So I think that's their problem right now. You know, who can they get? They should have hired Matt Rule. That's obvious now in hindsight, but who can they get if this job opens back up? And I think if even if you're the Giants or if you're the, the Carolina Panthers, like those are teams that have huge question marks. Is Daniel Jones the future? What With the Panthers, you obviously are not going to bring Cam Newton back at $19 million a year next year, but Kyle Allen hasn't been great either. No, it's starting so to struggle. So there's just a, to struggle. And some of that is what's around him as well. I mean, I, Again, Kyle Allen went undrafted for a reason. I had him ranked undrafted for a reason. But you look at these teams like, okay, well, what is, where are the good openings right now? And like, that's the hard part is Dallas is a great opening, obviously. But they're going to be very limited, very selective about who comes in there as a candidate. And then after that, you know, Carolina's 5-7. and seven. They're the next best team right now that we expect to be open. So there's a lot of really, really bad jobs. And I think Cleveland is an interesting one that I didn't mention earlier, but Freddie Kitchens is trash. It's awful. And Woefully I think what he... I don't really, like, care about the T-shirt thing because I get you're trying to, like, rally your team. But I've said this on this show for months. You're either allowing it or you're coaching it. And I think that's what Freddie Kitchens like. Why is his team undisciplined? Because he's undisciplined. And like, this is one of the most penalized teams in football. You see it every Sunday. Like, they're losing games in new maddening ways. And that trickles down from the head coach. So I think with Cleveland, man, I, I wanted Freddie Kitchens to succeed because he's the, he's not part of that good old boys network. Like this dude was going to shake things up. It just, it obviously has not worked there. I'm with you all the way. It's frustrating for the Browns. When you come in with, I mean, there was Super Bowl talk, but at least playoff expectations. 
And this is a team where you're sitting there and you're looking at the schedule and you go, damn, like the Bills after their Thanksgiving win, quietly one of the best coach teams in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills. You look at their Thanksgiving win, you say, all right, the Bills are probably locked into that wild card. If New England continues to, you know, play like they did on Monday on Sunday night football, that division might get interesting. I don't I'm not there yet. But you look at that second wild card spot and you see how Oakland's played these last couple of weeks. Horrendous defense. Yeah. The Browns were in the driver's seat to make this right and maybe go, okay, a couple of easy wins here. You could sneak into that wild card. We might not believe in Freddie, but at least the team is playing hard and they could sneak into a playoff spot and you give them another year. What they're putting out there right now, it's just not cutting it. It's not cutting it for a Browns team with high expectations. And that's what a lot of the problem with these teams are. Cowboys, the expectations should be high. That roster is phenomenal. Will McClay has put together a phenomenal roster there. Dak Prescott is playing at an extremely high level. It's just you look at these jobs. The Falcons have underachieved. Jacksonville, like you said, they're just spinning in circles right now. I don't know what that football team is, but I do know they should be a team rallying behind Gardner Minshew again, not Nick Foles. A lot of these jobs will be open, and yeah, the rankings for how they'll be are very different, but at the end of the day, none of these coaches we mentioned in the opening of this show have come even close to living up to the expectations that were set for them. Absolutely not. All right, let's take a break. We come back. Round one of Mock Draft Monday. We're going to break down one through 32. The Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock. It is mock draft time. The Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock with that 1-11 and 11 record, and this one is obvious, guys. I know Chase Young is an elite talent. He's a fantastic player, but if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance to win. The Bengals have to select Joe Burrow, quarterback, LSU. I love Joe Burrow. Uh, it's been so much fun watching him play this year. Sadly, the college football regular season's over. I think we're going to see Burrow continue to climb through SEC Championship, through the college football playoffs. I hope to God we see this man at the Senior Bowl because I think he can solidify that QB1 status by going to Mobile, where the Bengals are going to be one of the teams coaching as long as they don't fire Zach Brown. He can be on that squad all week long with Zach Taylor, learning that scheme, building a rapport, and make himself the number one pick in this draft. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. For that alone, Joe should get down to the Senior Bowl, work with that staff, get an early jump, especially how much limited time teams have with players before training camp, which is really none besides minicamp. Although, if you saw the red rifle there, Matt, on Sunday, I don't know. It might be Chase He Young says he pick. wants to come and back <laughs> oh, as man. well. So. I mean, he'll play <sighs> somewhere next year. I'll say yeah. that much. Number two, the New York Giants. What a perfect position for them. If you're a Giants fan, you want to keep losing. Lose out the rest of the way and get Chase Young second overall. This would be a franchise-changing pick for the New York Giants at defensive end. You remember those 2007 and 2011 Super Bowl teams? I know everyone talks about Eli Manning. Those teams were built on the defensive line and how they got after Tom Brady. They can really go full circle here and get a guy that could do that again with Chase Young. I love that's such a no brainer. Like this is the so easy. one two is so easy right now, right? Just don't overthink it. One two are very easy. Three it gets complicated. The Washington Redskins. There's been reports they might finally fire Bruce Allen. They can't fire Daniel Snyder because he's the owner. But there could be a shakeup in this football department, which means maybe they consider a quarterback if the new guy comes in and doesn't love Dwayne Haskins. We could see a quarterback considered here. But I think the smart move, and this is not ideal, is to draft a cornerback here, Jeff Okuda. I think Okuda is one of the top five players in the country. I think he's the number one corner by far in this class. He would have been last year. He would have been the year before that for me. He is uh, as close to shutdown as you can get coming out of college. 
obviously three overall. It's very early for a corner, but that's the way this class breaks. There's It's really a one-quarterback class right now with the uncertainty of Tua's injury. There's not an offensive tackle that I believe is worth a top-five pick. So the Redskins get stuck here with Jeff Okuda, who's a good player. In a normal draft, you'd say three overall is not bad for him. The Redskins have bigger needs, but this is the best player who's available. Man, I, I love what I've seen from him. I really do. It's, it's hard to justify unless they're elite, a corner going in the top five. And when you watch Akuda play, you see elite traits at the position. So I think that would be great. What's interesting with the Redskins, Matt, and you and I have talked about this for a long time, if everyone gets fired there, what happens with Dwayne Haskins? That's the big question that everyone's going to sit and watch with them. But we have plenty of time to figure that out. Number four, the Miami Dolphins. Didn't expect them to be picking here. But the good news is the guy they wanted all along is probably going to be on the board, and that's Tua Tungavailoa. There are a lot of questions about Tua right now. Will he make the full recovery? A lot of people will tell you he will. Can you trust him holding up long-term with the injuries? Those things will be sorted out towards the NFL Combine. But right now the Dolphins need a quarterback. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course, is doing exactly what we expected and winning them too many games to be picking in time for the top guy. And I still think Tua is more than talented enough where you take this risk at pick number four. Yeah, I think so. And again, right now we're speculating. It really depends on what's going what to look like in two months, what it's going to look like in three months. Now, as we sit here, we're at three months away from the NFL scouting combine. So a lot of questions will be answered in Indianapolis. Number five, the Atlanta Falcons would love Jeff Okuda here. Obviously, we fixed this team on last week's podcast. I'm going to go with Derek Brown, an amazing interior presence. He plays all over for that Auburn defense. You see him stand up and rush at times. He plays some defensive end. He plays some defensive tackle. Put this man on the line with Grady Jarrett, and you're going to solve a lot of problems. A lot of problems solved if you're the Atlanta Falcons, who uh, Caleb McGarry got absolutely worked by Cameron Jordan the other night. So maybe offensive line's a consideration here. But I think Derek Brown makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, not not a tape that Caleb McGarry's going to want to relive. I'll say that much. But Derek yeah. Brown, there might not be a more dominant player in the country right now besides Chase Young. Number six, the Detroit Lions. For whatever reason, they took a tight end over Ed Oliver last year. I have no explanation why. <laughs> but they will not make that mistake this year if we're in control. A.J. Epinesa at number six. I've had some really good conversations with a lot of different people on Twitter. I know that seems taboo to say, but about Epinesa where he's 6'6", he's 280, he's probably going to continue to get bigger, stronger. He might really be an interior player at the next level. If you watch both his sacks this weekend, they were against interior offensive linemen. So I like the versatility he can bring to a Lions front that needs help. I don't think Matt Patricia is going to be coaching there next year. Whether he is or isn't, this is the right pick for Detroit in the top 10. I love AJ Epinesa, and I feel like this year he's been a little disrespected because people just want stats. Like you stuck with him. I did stick with him, yeah. And like everyone's like, where where's his production? Well, it actually came on, and I I would love to find the show where I said this. Like, just wait until we get into Big Ten play. A lot of the teams they're seeing right now. Everything they're doing is to get away from him. So Epinesa, I still absolutely love him. Um, At six overall, I think he's actually a good value. Number seven, the Arizona Cardinals. Jerry Judy comes off the board here. I still think Judy's one of the three or four best players in this class. I am a little concerned about some of the just body drops that we've seen from him over the last uh, two weeks. LSU and Auburn, especially like in those games, like, come on, like you're better than this. What are you doing? 
His route running, his burst, his agility, his footwork, he's still the best receiver in this class, in my opinion. The Cardinals need a true number one wideout with Larry Fitzgerald getting close to retirement. Christian Kirk's a good complimentary guy, but I don't believe he's a true number one. So as much as I would love a left tackle here, I think that's a huge need for them. We've said it before. We don't know how much Cliff Kingsbury is going to value offensive linemen early in the draft. We know he values receivers after watching last year's draft. So Jerry Judy, a really, really good fit and value here. I absolutely love that pick. I think Judy would be one of the most uh, high-profile fantasy rookies we've seen in quite some time if that was his landing spot. Number eight, Jacksonville Jaguars. We had one of our listeners on Twitter this week and go, why do you guys never give my Jaguars Isaiah Simmons? And I'm sorry, I don't have their name pulled up right now. But when me and Matt sat down to do this mock draft before the show this morning, I was looking and I get to pick number eight. I'm picking for Jacksonville. And, of course, the best guy available for them is Isaiah Simmons. So there you are. They get Isaiah Simmons. He had a phenomenal week against South Carolina. Uh, He's just a great player. You watch the speed. You watch the coverage, the blitz ability, the run defense. He really does it all. He plays with a really high motor for a guy with his talent. I think Jacksonville... It's going to be a lot of questions about the direction of this team going forward. But I'll tell you what, if you can get a guy like Simmons at the eighth overall pick, that's a defensive piece you have to feel really good about. And you still have another first round pick in this draft. Yeah, with Telvin Smith's future so uncertain, this is a really smart pick for them. They need playmakers defensively. Another team that we could see maybe go quarterback, but it seems like with what they've done with signing Nick Foles, with Gardner Minshew showing some capability, they probably wouldn't go there in round one. Number nine, your New York Jets. It has to be left tackle here. And I'm going to go Andrew Thomas. I know like CeeDee Lamb will look great here. I think Henry Ruggs is a hell of a playmaker. And yeah, there are some pass rushers that you would consider, but I think Andrew Thomas is, I know I've been a little hard on him. I still believe he's a top 15 player in this class at number nine overall. Maybe this is a tiny bit of a reach, but the premium of this position and the gigantic need to build a good offensive line around Sam Darnold makes Andrew Thomas close to just a no brainer pick. As we get into this time of year, as the draft order starts to solidify, there are going to be picks where you guys are going to hear them a lot from us. You're probably going to get tired of them, but sometimes they just make so much sense from a scheme fit, a value, a need. And I think Andrew Thomas to the Jets is one of those picks. Yeah, I think Jets fans will like that because whenever I don't take offensive linemen, they don't want to hear it. So I like Andrew Thomas, and I think it would really help the run game. All right, number 10, the Los Angeles Chargers. Listen, we did a long bit on it last week or two weeks ago. This is a team that needs to start looking at the future quarterback. We are not very high, each of us, on Justin Herbert right now. But the NFL will be high on Justin Herbert. And this is the kind of landing spot where I can sell it because he doesn't have to go into next season as the starter. Tyrod Taylor can be your starter next year. Phillip Rivers walks away. You can develop Justin Herbert, get him right for that system. Playing with the Chargers, it's not the same quarterback spotlight that it is with the Browns, the Jets, all of these other places, the Cowboys, where every time you throw an incompletion, there's a story about it. I don't see it like that with the (laughs) Chargers. This is a good landing spot for Herbert at number 10. It really is. I think he needs somewhere like this to where he's not going to be put under the spotlight of, we talked about with Sam Darnold last week, oh my God, you went out in New York. And it's, you know, it's a page six article. I, I think this is what the type of atmosphere that Herbert needs. And we'll see what, what happens there. This has been a bad year, and there have been reports they might even bench Phillip Rivers. So it's crazy to watch. Number 11, the Denver Broncos. Drew Locke gets his first win and his first start. Congrats to Drew. They need to help him up front. And I think we can all say that Garrett Bowles was not a great pick by them. They could look at corner here, obviously, with Chris Harris Jr. about to walk. But I think when you can get an offensive tackle, you have to do it. Tristan Wirfs. 
is like the anti-Garrett Bowles. He's not a flashy athlete. He's just incredibly solid in his hand placement, his technique, his power. Can play either left or right tackle, which I think is very important. So I like Tristan Wirfs here to the Denver Broncos. All right, next up, the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a surprise, man. Them picking at number 12 is not something that we saw coming here. They lost to the Dolphins this weekend, and I don't think that secondary can cover anyone right now. The Eagles have some health problems. There's just not a corner I love for them this early in the draft, and I can't pass on C.D. Lamb here. I think if you want Carson Wentz to be playing at an MVP level again, you're not going to go in next year where guys like Nelson Aguilar are getting targets. They have a great tight end duo in Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. I don't know what the future of Alshon Jeffrey is there. I love Miles Sanders. They have a good offensive line. If you can get that number one wide receiver, you can really get out into a shootout with anyone, and C.D. Lamb is that kind of dude. Yeah, he absolutely is. And they drafted for the future last year, taking Andre Dillard in the first round to be the left tackle of the future. They just signed Lane Johnson to an extension. So you have to feel good about where they're at. And I I agree. I give them a receiver almost every time. CeeDee Lamb or Henry Ruggs, they need reliability at the pass catcher position. They don't have it right now. Number 13, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We ragged on this team for a long time for not taking Derwin James. They can fix that by taking Grant Delpit, who I thought Grant played his best game of the year on Saturday. I really showed up. I know it's Texas A&M, but... Man, he was flying around the ball. And my suspicion all year has been Delpit is holding back because he doesn't want to get hurt or he's buying into the hype a little bit. It seemed like on Saturday he remembered like, oh, shit, I need to play well or I'm going to fall down in the draft. I love Grant Delpit in this defense. Connor, you know it well. Todd Bowles could use a guy like Grant Delpit in that Jamal Adams role. Let him play near the line of scrimmage. Let him blitz off the corner. Just find different mismatches for him to go be a difference maker on defense. So I think Delpit, this is one of those best scheme fits that I've found. Without a doubt. Todd Bowles can get the most out of defensive backs, especially versatile guys like Delpit that could play at the line of scrimmage and also cover when you need them to. 14, the Carolina Panthers. This is one of the bigger risers in the draft. And if you watched Jonah Williams last year, you saw this other bully on the right side. That's Jedrick Wills at Alabama. I look at the Panthers. I was the first to say I didn't like the Greg Little pick next year, uh, last year. I don't know if it'll work out, but I know this is a team that still needs help on the offensive line. This is a team that quarterback is going to be very interesting for the next couple of years. And when you look at it, they have the best running back in football in Christian McCaffrey. Jedrick Wills is a guy that you could stick at right tackle. He probably could play a little left tackle. And let's be real. You could run behind him all day. I really like this landing spot with Carolina. Wills is interesting to me because like you said, we've seen him play right tackle and he's been surrounded by really, really good players. Um, you know, even Alex Leatherwood playing beside him last year. So he is someone that I'm anxious to try to this time of year. It's hard to like get the cut out of. I just want to watch him at pass protection. So I, I can't wait to spotlight him and see how he looks as a mover in pass protection, because I think he could either, like you said, push up this year or should he come out, I can see him fall down the board a little bit just to, based on movement purely. Yeah, Number him 15. And, him in the Louisville Sorry, offensive lineman, uh, yep. Becton. Those are the yes. two guys that everybody's going to have their eyes on their pass pro to see if they're round one players. Yeah, and I, I would say I would even put Leatherwood in there, the, yes, the other definitely. tackle, if, if he decides to come out, um, which probably will because it's Alabama. Uh, I think he is uh, an interesting dude to evaluate as well. All right, number 15, the Cleveland Browns. A lot of needs on this roster that we did not expect there them to have, and I think some of it is health-related. Obviously, the offensive line is a huge need, but Connor just took Jedrick Wills. I do not feel comfortable taking an Alex Leatherwood here or an Austin Jackson this highly, so maybe the Browns are a trade-down candidate should the board fall this way. But they also need help in the middle of the defense, especially if Joe Schobert leaves as a free agent. Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma, 
I feel like is that type of player, a guy who he can rush the quarterback a little bit. He's ex- excellent in coverage, whether that's a zone drop or matching up in man situations against tight ends. If Schobert leaves, I think middle linebacker is a gigantic need for the Cleveland Browns. Even though they've thrown some draft picks at this position, I don't think anyone that they have is ready to step into that role. Yeah, Murray's like the less freaky Isaiah Simmons, where you actually know, hey, he's a linebacker. (laughs) You don't just put him anywhere. 16, the Raiders, I mean, they need secondary help. Good Lord, do they need it. Christian Fulton, when healthy, Fulton is on his A game. He really is. There's There's only one Jeff Okuda in this class. But when you get into the next tier of corners, I love what Fulton can do. Uh, I still look at Oakland, and I, I'll never be a Derek Carr guy. It's really hard for me, but they got a lot of problems outside of just Derek Carr, and that starts at the cornerback position. And the great thing for the Raiders is they have a lot of draft capital in this draft. They can keep stacking the deck with young talent. Yeah, they absolutely can. The Raiders are in a, a, another team in a fun spot. You can see the build happening, and it's going to be exciting to see where Mike Mayock goes after a, a really good draft last year. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We're going to get through the second half of round one. Number 17, the Indianapolis Colts. Chris Ballard has some work to do. And I will say this. uh, I am a Jacoby Brissett fan. I think he's a solid quarterback. Um, We said it when he got elevated to this job that Andrew, when Andrew Luck retired, he can be good enough if you have a good defense and you have playmakers. Well, they do not have playmakers at receiver. Paris Campbell hasn't hit yet. T.Y. Hilton's been banged up. They, They need help in a lot of different spots. So I think they are poised to maybe go best player available. But one thing that hasn't worked for them is what they have in the secondary right now. And I feel like defensively, they need playmakers. They need guys who can flip the field to help out Jacoby Brissett, to help out Marlon Mack. So I'm going to go C.J. Henderson here over Henry Ruggs, who I feel like would be a little bit repetitive, a little bit redundant to what they have with Paris Campbell, over Devonta Smith, over LaVisca Chenault. I really feel like C.J. Henderson, I know we talked about him last week, so there, you know, there's a good conversation about his stock. He could be the second corner off the board in this draft, or he could be the fifth corner off the board in this draft. So the Colts, I mean, maybe they look at someone like Paulson and Debo instead, but I think corner is a huge need for them. I still like CJ Henderson. I'm excited to see where the draft process kind of takes him with him as we dig into more of the more of the tape and more of the personality with him. 18, the Raiders are back on the clock thanks to the lovely Chicago Bears selection here. And I'm going to get at them a receiver this time. Two picks ago, went corner, got Christian Fulton. This might surprise you. I know we've had Henry Ruggs there, but I actually like the fit a little better with Devonta Smith here. I think when you look at Smith's game, he's still a speedster. He's still going to run sub 4-4, but he's a little more shorthanded. He's a little tougher across the middle. And if they're going to ride this thing out with Derek Carr and they're going to be a punch-you-in-the-face kind of offense with Josh Jacobs in the run game, I actually really like the fit of what Smith can bring to the table. Just a little bit more of a rounded game than Ruggs right now here for the Raiders that definitely have to be in the round one wide receiver market. Yep, they, they have to be. The, losing Antonio Brown, I, I think you know, at times this year they've played really well, and you can see like, okay, there there are pieces here, but man, they still need some more help. The, the Tennessee Titans at 19 overall, I think Ryan Tannehill has played well enough this year to maybe get a bridge deal one to two year where we can see what he can be. And man, it's amazing. Like I, I think Miami just ruined this guy. You know, he's he's playing really well. Adam Gates. Right there, you go. I don't <laughs> want to say it. I don't want to trigger you. I think they're three and one since he took over the starting job, including beating Kansas City. The run game has taken off there. What they need though. I love A.J. Brown. He was my number one receiver in the draft last year. And, and rookie wide receivers, unless you're Michael Thomas, it takes a second tackle, mate. So we're not giving up on him, but we want to give him some help. That's where Henry Ruggs comes in. And I know this might seem like a luxury pick for the Titans, but when you're at this spot in the draft at 19, 
I'm looking for playmakers. You're not going to draft a quarterback here. You're probably not going to. Defensively, they've thrown a lot of picks at guys. Jeffrey Simmons has been amazing. So I want to find someone on offense who can maybe help set this team over the top. For me, that's Henry Ruggs. Now, something interesting, though, to keep an eye on, Derrick Henry's a free agent, and he's been amazing the last three or four games, and he's really been good the last 16 games. He's been really, really good. I'm going to be interested to see how they value Derrick Henry, that big body that takes a lot of hits, where they value him moving forward, because this could be a sleepy spot for a guy like DeAndre Swift out of Georgia. Yeah, I'm with you all the way, and I love that point you make about wide receivers. It's ridiculous what guys like Michael Thomas and Mike Evans have done. Just 1,000 yards, year after year after year from the get-go. All right, 20, the Jaguars back on the clock for them again. Got Isaiah Simmons earlier. Now it's time to take a look at this offensive line. Get Gardner Minshew, the future down there, some help. I went with Trey Adams. Once again, a, a medical kind of player. He's had a lot of surgeries in the past, but he's looked great this year for Washington. He's a great run blocker. He's got the perfect frame and length for pass protection. Really loved what I saw out of him in person against USC and really have loved the film this year. I think Trey is one of those guys, as long as he's healthy, he's a difference maker at right tackle, left tackle, wherever you want to put him. And Matt, you said it when we do a lot of these mock drafts, the Jaguars are going to be looking to retool this group in the trenches a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they're going to have to. You know, Cam Robinson's not getting it done at left tackle. And I think with Trey Adams, the biggest question mark is health. You know, missing the 2018 season with a back injury, where is he at in terms of health? You know, what are we looking at? How How is he going to hold up long term? Some of the rust that I've seen this year, how much of that can be attributed to missing last year? How much of it is attributed to where he's just maybe limited a little bit post injury so he is a guy we better see at the senior bowl because he needs that week it could really improve his stock number 21 the dallas cowboys javon kinlaw is my guy here they're going to lose byron jones to free agency at corner so maybe they would draft someone there but javon kinlaw to fall this far is a little bit of a surprise i think he could be a top if he's a top 12 pick i wouldn't be shocked so put kinlaw in the middle of this d-line where they haven't had a great return yet on last year's uh, second rounder on the D-line. So I think looking at it like, okay, we like Tristan Hill. He could be a good player, but I really feel like next to Malik Collins or in a three-man rotation, Javon Kinlow will be their best defensive tackle pretty much immediately to get him on this D-line where we don't know who's going to be coaching it next year because everything's up in the air in Dallas right now. I think Kinlow is just too good of a value to pass. Oh, he's an absolute beast, and it would be such a good landing spot there in Dallas. But, man, they're either going to have to cross their fingers that him or Grant Delpit falls to them. It's going to be real interesting for Dallas. 22, we get we start our back-to-back Dolphins picks here. This one is from the Steelers. I'm going with Yeter Gross-Matos. This is a team that needs some edge pass rush. It's been fun to watch Taco Charlton kind of reignite his career under Brian Flores. I believe he has five sacks Shocking, since right? they claimed him on weight. <laughs> it really is because... I didn't even really love him at Michigan. So when it didn't work out in Dallas, I shrugged my shoulders like, yeah, wasn't a first-round player. Miami, getting a lot of value out of him, but you gotta keep, you're got to keep. you not going to rely on him next year. Keep stacking the deck. Gross Matos is a very good, well-rounded player, a very high-character player. He is a classic New England, but Brian Flores kind of player for that defensive line. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they're right back on the clock, actually, because of that trade with Houston. 23 overall, we've given them a quarterback and Tua, a pass rusher in Gross Matos. Now they need a receiver. I'm going to give them T. Higgins. I've said before, I've tweeted a lot about it. T. Higgins is somehow being slept on, as is the entire Clemson Tigers offense right now. I still like T. Higgins. I will be interested to see where he tests, what he weighs. I think is one of the biggest question marks. Is he 200? Is he 215? Where's that 
body at, but we've seen it at times this year. This man can still get loose deep. He can make plays, adjusting his body on the ball. I'm a big T. Higgins believer, and I think the Miami Dolphins need help in the passing game. Yes, I would love a left tackle here. Don't get me wrong, guys. Yes, that would be a great spot, but I don't have a left tackle on my board that I would pick here at 23. Yeah, those seven touchdowns in the last four games have been awesome for T. Stock, and he's going to have a huge opportunity in the college football playoff. He, he really can. He could pass some of the guys that will not be given the opportunity to play in it at wide receiver like the Alabama guys, potentially C.D. Lamb, Chanel, all of those players. So T. Higgins, the stock might be climbing right back up there. 24, the Minnesota Vikings. Got to go corner here. Xavier, Xavier Rhodes has fallen apart this year. I, we're talking about yes. falling off a cliff, and he's not even 30 yet. Jeff Gladney, we've had him at the top of the second round. I still think that's his projected range. But listen, this team needs a corner. And Gladney can be a very, very good starter right away. He's somebody that went back to school for a senior year at TCU, has played very well. He's light, but he has good length. And I think Minnesota, they need help in that secondary. Yeah, they, they really do. And I think Gladney's interesting. The guy I'm going to give the Kansas City Chiefs here at number 25 overall would be interesting as well. That's Paulson Adebo. And I was at the Chiefs Raiders game. Huge win. Top four coldest I've ever been in my life, but huge win for Kansas City. <laughs> and you look at this team, it's like, okay, well, like Dylan Moses would make some sense here. Or, you know, we could go Trey Smith or Tyler Byadish, like someone in the middle of that offensive line. But what this team really needs is a corner. Kendall Fuller, who missed like eight weeks with a finger injury, which I want to slam my head on the desk every time I think about that fact. He's going to be a free agent. And let's be honest, he hasn't played that well since coming over from Washington. I really like what they have in Ward, a young corner that no one saw coming. But they need more help, especially if you're going to keep up with the Ravens, the Patriots, what we're seeing in Buffalo even. You're going to need playmakers on defense. I think Paulson Adebo with his size, his ability to track the ball down the field, even if it's not interceptions, passes defensed. The Chiefs really miss a guy like Marcus Peters right now. I know that's taboo to say, especially in this part of the country, but they do. And Paulson Adebo can give them that presence again on defense. Yeah, it was disappointing we didn't get to see Adebo play when we went out to Stanford, but still believe in his back end around yep. one talent for sure. And that's the ideal landing spot. 26, the Buffalo Bills. Another team that needs wide receiver, but so many of the good ones that we constantly talk about are gone. None of the Alabama guys. No T. Higgins. They're gone already. No C.D. Lamb. Here's one, and I saw you say it over the weekend, Matt, that he could find his way into round one. It's Donovan Peoples-Jones. This is a former five-star recruit. He's a great player. He's a monster in the red zone. He can play special teams. He's a big-bodied go-up-and-get-it, which is what Josh Allen needs right now. The quarterback situation in Michigan has simply held him back. Yes. But if you put Peoples Jones on Oklahoma, on Clemson, on Alabama, on LSU, he'd probably have 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns. I honestly believe that. I really, really do. And that's why Peoples Jones, for a team like the Bills that need a big body pass catcher, he might find his way into that first round. I think he will. I think he'll test so well and he'll interview so well oh, yeah. that he'll get Jump in there. The roof. Yeah. And again, Shea Patterson has ruined this entire team. It really has. Tariq Black, Nico Collins. Three years ago, we were talking about this as the best receiving trio in the country, and they have not been able to win games or produce offensively because Shea Patterson sucks so bad as a quarterback. And like even Ronnie Bell this year, 
they have four receivers who should probably be top 50 picks, just to be honest. And they can't can't move the ball. So thank you, Shea Patterson, for ruining Donovan Peoples-Jones. Up next on the clock, another receiver coming up here, 27, the Green Bay Packers. I would love a tight end here, and I think you have to consider defense as well. But I'm going to go offense. Let's give Aaron Rodgers some help. We saw this against the 49ers. We saw it yesterday as well. They need help, or not yesterday, excuse me, last week. They need help offensively, and I think LaVisca Chenault is that guy. He's This is like a young Randall Cobb, but a little bit bigger. Where you can put him offensively, what you can ask him to do in this offense, whether it's jet sweeps, running the ball out of the backfield, returning kicks and punts, making plays just split out as an X or Y receiver. I, I still like Chenault. I think he is going to be somewhat scheme-specific in terms of where he fits and what he can be asked to do, but I've compared him to Percy Harvin. I think the Packers can use a guy like that offensively. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think he'd be a lot of fun to watch in Green Bay. Get creative with how yeah. you use him because he could do a lot of different things, and he turns into a running back with the ball in his hands. 28 Seattle Seahawks. I go Trey Smith here. This is a player that has... Great experience at tackle. He's been phenomenal at guard. Once again, another, you know, medicals pending kind of offensive lineman, but round one talent. And for Seattle, if you want to run the ball and you want a versatile offensive lineman that you could plug in at four different positions, uh, Trey Smith is the guy. I mean, he blows people off the snap. Love what I've seen from him this year. It hasn't been a great year for Tennessee, but there's been certain promising things that you see, whether it's Jennings at wide receiver, Smith on that offensive line to get the run game going. If he does declare, which is very up in the air, he's going to be one of the more polarizing prospects in this draft. Yeah, like we were saying with Trey Adams, medicals will matter a lot, what we see here. And this is a Tennessee team. They're seven to five. Like they're as good as Texas this year. Let's chew on that for a little bit. I'm gonna cry myself to sleep this tonight. Number twenty nine, the New England Patriots. We've seen Tom Brady getting frustrated with this, whether it's the the receivers, the tight ends, the lack of playmakers. I think some of their problems offensively go back to an offensive line that is very banged up right now. I'm gonna try to help them by giving them a tight end and Bryson Hopkins. He is my number one tight end in this class. He's big bodied. He can go up and get the ball. He can help in the run game. Now, the thing with this is, and we've seen it even with TJ Hawkinson this year, it's hard for rookie tight ends to contribute. And I think that's where you with the Patriots, you're like, okay, I would love to build this team for the future and plug holes, but how much longer will Tom Brady be here? How open is this window to where maybe you would rather go defense and try to plug some of the holes there with a Raquan Davis or a Curtis Weaver or even a Xavier McKinney at safety. So the Patriots draft philosophy is going to be really interesting because do they start to try to turn this roster over for the future or do they try to plug some of these holes for one or two more years? Yeah, I'm with you. The Patriots are such an interesting spot. It's weird to sit there and look at a two loss team and the sky is falling. But there is a weird sense around them that the sky is falling. I I don't know. They're going to be a they're going to be a really interesting offseason discussion. Number 30, the Saints. We keep giving them linebackers. Dylan Moses here. As long as medically he checks out that he is fully rehabilitated and back to form after tearing his knee this summer, Moses is a really good player. Demario Davis has been an incredible free agent signing for the Saints. He is getting up there in age. They could use more bodies on the front seven. Moses is almost like a luxury pick, but the Saints are in a position where they can make one. Yeah, they really are. And again, another team that 
we'll see what happens at quarterback because if Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater comes back, you're probably not drafting one. If he goes no. to a bigger free agent starting quarterback deal, then this could be a spot where you maybe you look at Jalen Hurts, maybe you look at Jacob Eason, maybe you're willing to bet on the, the traits of a Jordan Love. Personally, I wouldn't be, but I think it's something they have to look at. Number 31, <laughs> the Baltimore Ravens look unbeatable right now, so let's just make them a little bit better and give them Curtis Weaver. I believe Curtis is a round one pass rusher coming out of Boise State. He has size, he has speed. Uses his hands really, really well. It's not the biggest need for Baltimore. I think middle linebacker would be bigger, but like you just taking Dylan Moses off the board here for me, I have to go to the outside where they're going to keep trying to add talent. Some of those last Ozzie Newsom picks didn't hit. And here's a funny story. I almost put Caleb on chase on here from LSU, but Ozzie Newsom as general manager never drafted a player from LSU. And I don't know that Eric DaCosta is going to break that streak now that he's the general manager. Man, I don't think he will. It's a weird thing. But when you're as good as Baltimore, fuck it. You do whatever you want. You do whatever you want. That works for you. So 32, you're 49ers currently uh, sitting here in this wonderful 32nd pick. Xavier McKinney, the tackling machine. Now, I know everybody will think of the most recent memory of him as his helmet flying off against (laughs) Auburn. That's not fair. He's had a phenomenal season. I know there are a lot of people out there that are wondering who's going to be the first safety off the board. Is it him or Grant Elpit? McKinney's had the better season. I still believe in Delpit's talent. But at this point for the 49ers, I asked Matt before the show, I said, man, what does this team need? Because I I would love to take DeAndre Swift here. They ain't doing that. They don't take running backs in the first round. That is not the Shanahan way or anyone from the Shanahan tree. And they do need some help at safety, as you said, Matt. I really like what we've seen from McKinney this year. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's take a break. We come back. We have four awesome draft-on-draft questions to get to. Draft-on-draft time at Garrett Greenlee. It's like he was watching us record right. the show today. He asked, can we finally admit that Tom Brady is losing to father time from 2016 to 19? His completion percentage has gone from 67 to 61. His passer rating from 112 to 88, and he misses throws he would have made a few years ago. Is it time for Mello's guy, Jarrett Stidham, in 2020? Oh, all right. First off, I'm never going to be the guy to say Brady's done because then they win the Super right. Bowl. That's how this goes every year. Now, to speak to the completion percentage and more importantly, you know, the yards per attempt, because I think what's interesting with Brady is he's he is turning into a little bit of a dink and dunk kind of guy. And I know people say, well, Brady's always been that short to intermediate guy. You're really seeing that number drop. He doesn't have Gronk this year. And Josh Gordon's gone. And Dorsett's been hurt. Edelman got doubled on Sunday Night Football, which was brilliant by Houston. They doubled Edelman. I mean, you're relying on Nikhil Harry, who's not great at separating, especially as a rookie right now. Father time gets everyone, and it will get Tom Brady. I don't know if it's over. I don't think it is, first off. I think a lot of it is the offense around him. They've had injuries on the offensive line. They don't have a great group of skill guys, but... To say he won't be the guy in 2020 right now, I'm just not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not either. I love our guy Garrett. I feel like this is a little bit misleading, these stats, because last year uh, Brady completed 65.8%. So his completion percentage was only down half a percent from 2017 to 2018. Excuse me, 2018. And even what we saw last year, 29 touchdowns. I mean, he was still good last year. And I'm not a huge quarterback rating guy. I think that's kind of a bullshit stat. This year... Yeah, like you said, the yards per attempt are way down, and that's the key, but I think it's because they've had to dink and dunk. And Nikhil Harry being hurt, I think, changed this offense a lot. Antonio Brown not working out, Josh Gordon not working out, Gronk retiring, 
And it's tough when you're drafting constantly at 32 overall to be able to get high impact players. You know, you're not able, you can't get just, oh, we'll draft TJ Hawkinson, plug him in, boom, we're done. It's a lot harder for New England. So I don't, and I'm a Brady guy, everyone knows that, but I don't want to assign this year and be like, fuck, Brady's done. This doesn't look like Peyton Manning at the end. It doesn't even look like Eli Manning, you know, or Joe Flacco, where you can just see they don't have it anymore. I think we're seeing that with Phillip Rivers. Like, if you want to talk about a player falling off, let's talk about Phillip Rivers. And so I think with Brady, it's more that he doesn't have around him what we're used to seeing. Because like you said, no Gronk. Teams are just doubling up Edelman, and they can't run the ball because of some of those injuries up front. I I mean, I know they didn't look good against Houston. They lost to Baltimore. They could still win the Super Bowl. Let's let's not not get crazy here. All right, Dakota Cox wants to know, are there any juniors for Alabama you see surprising everyone and coming back for a senior year like Raekwon Davis or Damian Harris did? So I think this is an interesting question uh, because we're going to wait to see college football playoffs, Alabama for the first time, not in it. So I think we're going to be interested to see, number one, which players sit out that game. And then, like he asked here, which players are going to come back for another season? No one jumps off the page to me as a guy's like, okay, yep, he'll come back. Um, it, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense for some of them. Najee Harris graduates in December. He's not going to come back uh, like Damian Harris did. Dylan Moses might be an interesting one just because of the injury situation this year. But I think you can look at Raekwon Davis, who opted to go back. I don't think it helped him to go back. I, I, I still think he's going to be probably drafted in the 50 to 65 range. He's not a top 15 player. Uh, he would have been a second rounder most likely in last year's draft. He's going to be a second rounder most likely in this year's draft. So I think agents will get to Alabama, which is this is a little bit of an older Alabama team because of guys like Raekwon going back. But I don't think anyone's going to talk, you know, Alex Leatherwood or, or I think Wills went back. Even that wouldn't be the biggest surprise, but there's just like Jerry Judy's not no. going back to Henry Alabama. Ruggs. That's probably the only one Henry that would be a Ruggs surprise. Is not going back. Right, They're Devonta not going Smith. back. Like there was a time right. where because Najee's such a, a different kind of dude, he, he's a little bit more reserved, laid back. Where I don't think he'd be. He's not dying for the NFL life, is what I'm saying. Najee wanted to go to Alabama right. to win, and that's why when he didn't start as a freshman, he was so upset right away. But he's been so good this year. I mean, he's been round right. one good at running back where you sit there and you say, I, I hope he doesn't go back. And you should always do what makes you happy. But with the amount of running back injuries and the fact that Najee should be a surefire top 50 pick at running back, I, I can't see that one happening. It would be, it would really surprise me. But Alabama, yeah, what do you got to worry about? You restock and reload every single year. Riley exactly. Lovely. Oh, go and ahead, like, Matt. Mc- I would say, like, McKinney's a junior. He's probably going to come out. I think Devonta Smith. I've talked to people at Alabama, and they were like, we really hope Devonta wouldn't go off this year because we wanted to hide him for next year with Jalen Waddell. But uh, you still have Jalen Waddell coming back. You guys are going to be just fine. All right, Riley Loveless. Will should David Johnson be on another team next year since Cliff Kingsbury really isn't using him? I think that's just, I feel like David Johnson, honestly, is kind of at the end of his run. And so if he goes anywhere, I mean, he's 27 years old. He's been incredibly banged up. He's under contract Ugh. for two more seasons. And next year, the dead cap that's is That's what I was reacting to. So you're running into that. <laughs> right. If you run into next year, like, if you cut this guy, like, it's going to be fucking expensive. So I, I mean, I, God, I guess you can no try one's to taking trade that him. But no, nope. I so you're kind of stuck with Man, him. Man, what a fall for him. I didn't realize how bad it is yeah. this year. 
Like I, it has been. I get to ugly. watch like besides the coaches' film because I like to watch Kyler, but like I forgot he existed. Yeah, and I think a lot of people will look at this and say, "Well, Cliff Kingsbury doesn't use a running back, but he does." Uh, Cliff would love to run the ball as much as anyone else in the NFL. I mean that that's this isn't Texas Tech where he wants to throw the ball sixty times. I think he understands how important the run game is, and we've even seen. I mean, they yeah. bring in Kenyon Drake, and he has a ton of success that first week, but. Yeah, man, this is the number one paid running back. I mean, in the Kenyon NFL. Drake is like David Johnson is touching around twenty looks a game. That's a lot. Yeah, it's it kind of gives you the writing on the wall. But they're stuck with that money. Last yeah. one here for draft on draft from Dustin Lackey. If LSU beats Georgia in the SEC title game, do you see Utah having any chance if they win the Pac-12, or will it go to the winner of Oklahoma versus Baylor? I know we love this question so much, and we get to talk about it every week. <laughs> we do. I and I know we had Paige on uh, last week. She talked a lot about the eye test of the college football playoff because it, this is a committee; it's not a computer. So if LSU beats Georgia, I don't think Utah has a chance. I truly don't. I think it will be Oklahoma, and I'm okay with that. I mean, it, like I was asking you guys, if Oklahoma and Utah played neutral site right now, who wins that game? I would pick Oklahoma, and I think most people yeah. would. So that's what the, the committee is going to do the same thing of, okay, this is not, you know, we get to pick whatever four teams we want, basically. And I think that the nation will want to see Oklahoma. They'll want to see Lincoln Riley. They'll want to see Jalen Hurts and CD Lamb, yeah. Kenneth Murray. No disrespect to Utah, who's going to have like 12 guys at the Senior Bowl. And Tyler Huntley's play, been a hell of a quarterback for them this year. We love Zach Moss. That defense is loaded, but they're just, that's not a sexy team. If it's Utah against LSU in the first college football playoff game or Oklahoma versus LSU, come on. Like they're trying to make money. Yeah. It's be my heart says Utah. My head says the winner of Oklahoma, Baylor. You know, obviously a lot of people betting on Oklahoma being that team. I still like my Baylor Bears. But anyway, I think when you look at it, it's a tough sell. And that's not me and Matt saying that it's a tough sell for the NCAA and the committee and how they look at this. And if you go back and remember, when Utah lost to USC, we were like, fuck, because we thought Utah had the path for the Pac-12 to finally make an appearance where it's like, oh, they didn't eat each other apart this year. But they did. And that loss to USC, it's the difference. Which is why Oregon probably beats Utah anyway. Yeah. You know, because this is it would be the most Pac-12 thing ever. It's never just going to be like Clemson. You can say what you want about Clemson. They take care of business against a shitty-ass ACC. Like, they take care of it. And, like, (laughs) I want the the ACC to be good. But right now it's not, and Clemson ran through it. And you look at Utah in the Pac-12, they should have ran through it, and they came really close. But I'd love to, I would be the first yep. one to be happy if they made it in. I just don't see it happening. I agree. I, again, as long as Oklahoma beats Baylor, I think they're in. So if LSU beats Georgia. If Georgia wins, well, then Georgia and LSU get in. So things get... Things get a little wild out there in the college football playoff land. All right, that is our show. We will be back uh, tomorrow. My goodness, right? Yeah, we'll be back Wednesday looking at draft stock. We need a team to fix. So tweet us those teams. Who should we be taking down this week? Connor and Matt, we'll talk to you all real soon. Mm -hmm.